Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Handmade Network podcast. My name is Ryan Fleury. Uh, today, I'm joined by Patrick I, a game developer and uh, educator who's a member of the Handmade Network community. Uh, how's it going, Patrick? Uh, thanks hey. for joining me. Hey, yeah. Uh, no, it's it's going pretty good. The semester just started, so yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, I've just kind of been getting back into the swing of things and sort of pivoting. It's nice. One of the things I like about teaching is you have the summer off so you can work on your personal projects. And then so it's kind right. of like the deadline was coming. I'm like, okay, I need to finish up these features, get this stuff done, and then pivot <laughs> into to teaching and learning. It's like I'm, te- I'm teaching like about seven or eight classes now. And so that's just a lot of students to remember their names. Wow. And stuff. Um, okay. And it's hard online because I'm remembering things by like, you know, little icons, right? And not you know, face-to-face <laughs> interactions. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when you first said semester, I, I, of course, I'm much younger. So I, the first thing I think of is like, oh, you're in school. But it, I don't know if that's true if you're doing grad school or something like that, or are you doing like education just across the board? No. Uh, yeah, actually, um, I don't really like being in school that much. I didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a great time uh, in, in high school or college. I mean, you know, high, high school was fine. But um, yeah, I, I only have uh, my, my bachelor's. Um, gotcha. And actually, okay. my bachelor's is in English and not computer science. I oh, interesting. I sort of uh, got, I don't know, fed up is maybe too harsh a word. I, the, <laughs> the luster of computer science was starting to wear thin. I'm like, okay, I can just finish up because I transferred like halfway through and I'm like, all right, it'll be faster to finish with English, start working uh, and not, you know, finish up the computer science uh courses and stuff so right yeah yeah so yeah uh and i've considered like going to grad school but really yeah like i said i I don't like school that much i'd rather i'd rather not uh be on the other side of the classroom i guess Uh, definitely fair um you had mentioned to me before that you teach like several age age rate ranges of of students is there like a i don't know like what institution is it like do you just teach at multiple places or do you have a special thing that people go to or sure, I don't know yeah. what the... yeah so um I started uh when when I graduated I started teaching at a private school um here in in Dallas Texas uh called the Prometheus Academy which oh, was cool. started actually by my um high school biology teacher she wanted oh interesting um, so I, I I was uh homeschooled growing up and uh she was my biology teacher and kind of one of the things that she really felt was lacking in like the education system was kind of um, like secular science education, right? Uh, especially for like homeschools or private schools. Because when you're in Texas and you're homeschooled, <laughs> it's kind of a split between we're homeschooling because we don't want to teach evolution and we're homeschooling <laughs> because, you, you know, everyone kind of has their own reason other than that one, right? Um, I see, <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. so for, for me, it was uh, when, when I was very young, I had um, some like reading uh issues and like speech impediments and stuff so it was Mm -hmm. like okay sort of is this better handled by the public school system or you know by by my parents homeschooling me right so so yeah she she started a school uh which was a really cool audacious like experiment that just really inspired me uh when i was in college like you know she built a science lab and was like getting equipment from different universities and stuff so when i graduated um she just said, hey, you know, you can you can come here and teach if you want. Uh, you can kind of teach anything uh, that you want as long as, you know, you're you're confident that you can do it and you can demonstrate to me. Right. Um, 
that you have some some expertise or some experience. So, so yeah, I started out uh, teaching programming and then also just some uh, writing classes on the side because, you know, kind of every middle schooler needs English. They have to take English and then, you know, programming. Right. Some of them are going to be like, oh, wow, programming, that's really cool. And some of them are just going to be like, so glad I don't have to take programming. Yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like you have an English degree, you're in a school. It sounds like a <laughs> natural connection uh, yeah, to yeah. make on the side. Um, that's pretty interesting though. So you teach like just, is it just standard computer science kind of education or is it uh, like specifically geared towards game development or is that more used as a catalyst to teach these kids like these subjects yeah so i started out and yeah that was like back in 2016 when i graduated and i started out you know pretty much doing like an intro programming class right uh yeah it was definitely had a little bit more of a games bent to it you know we would do tic-tac-toe game of life uh you know text adventures those types of things but right really you know it's kind of when you're dealing with just like a command prompt there's only so much you can do right i didn't want to jump in to something uh one of the the goals i have in education is to, to keep things very simple and very not necessarily at a low level from like a performance standpoint but just at a low level from like a, okay the less things there are in the way the clearer the distinction is between like what's happening on the hardware what's happening when we type in code to the computer when we hit run all these things because that was something very hard for me starting out in college, right? You you take like your first Java class, right? It's like, oh, well, how do I get a window? Oh, download this library and <laughs> instantiate this factory and do yeah, yeah. Stuff, right? And then you're like, okay, that's that's hard. And I also I did a lot of Lisp in college, and that's even harder because it's just like I don't know, like people are like, why do you want to open a window in Lisp? That's that's a weird thing <laughs> to want. Just don't do it. <laughs> so it's it's very hard, and that's why when I saw Handmade Hero, that was just a real uh, sort of eye-opening moment for me. Uh, I was yeah. probably about like halfway through the computer science uh, phase of my education, and it was just like, okay, wait, hold on. Why didn't anyone right. tell me like we could just say, hey, open a window, <laughs> like go, <laughs> go to the operating system, open a window, you know, start doing graphics? Because previously, you know, I had been doing game stuff, but it was, uh, you know in unity or other yep. um, bunch of weird like closure and lisp frameworks and stuff which don't mm. don't matter um <laughs> but yeah so that's that's sort of how i started out thinking about education um but now what i do in in addition to teaching uh sort of at this uh private school and just independent tutoring uh i'm the the head programming faculty at dallas colleges uh in their game design department so now it's okay. definitely very focused on game development and uh, just kind of low level, uh, not necessarily just engine programming, because, you know, we it's a community college, so it's only two years. But mm -hmm. I, I try to get uh, both as broad and as specialized as you get. So it's like, you know, they take a networking class, they take an engine class, uh, but then they also just take a general, hey, game design class, right? Let's just program games and try different things out and learn some, you know, some good uh, ideas of game design, how to express ideas and stuff. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It's pretty interesting that you talk about like uh, the idea of getting as many things out of the way as possible. I think that's an idea that comes up all the time within discussions about handmade or uh, handmade hero, handmade network, um, which is just basically that 
the general, it feels like the consensus of the industry is to introduce people at this very high level uh, uh, layer where, yeah, I mean, you're in Java, you have to instantiate objects and there's these classes and it, it just gets, it gets complicated fast. Um, even though it's so removed from the hardware, uh, and the thing that Handmade Hero does, and it sounds like something that you took inspiration from, was um, no, like you know, here's the list of things that need to happen in this in this program. It's going to go one by one, and uh, it sounds like you. I don't know how much success you have with that over the high level stuff, but uh, the thing that I've seen is it seems to be a lot more effective to teach that way because it's just like, hey, here's a list of instructions the computer's going to do. It's not actually instructions if you're writing in something like C, but um, it's a lot easier to follow from a conceptual standpoint, especially for a beginner. And I mean, even me programming today, I'm like, yeah, that's just that's just easy for me to think about, you know? <laughs> so Yes, yeah, definitely. I, I, I tend to be... Uh, this, this may be a fault because, uh, you know, I, I've worked with other programmers, right, who are maybe a little bit better at a general, you know, maybe ha having de general, like, principles behind things, right? Whether that be abstracting right. things very nicely and not in, like, a floofy sort of, oh, we just magically save the thing and everything happens behind the scenes. We're just, you know, designing <laughs> designing systems well, right? Um, like, in the, the work... Um, the, the game engine uh, that me and my friend work on for our games, you know, she is much better at kind of like, okay, I'm going to design an, like a, an audio mixer, right? I'm going to have a nice yeah. API for it. I tend to be a lot more like, okay, I'm going to start typing in things. I'm just going to say what I want to happen in the right order <laughs> until it looks right. And then maybe I'll come back and fix that up if it's either too hard to understand or just I want to adapt it in some way. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thing with students uh, that I find to be much more successful just because pr programming is hard enough already, right? And it's already <laughs> kind of scary. I mean, just when you think about the user interface of programming, it you like <laughs> hit a button and it yells at you. It tells you that you did all these things wrong in this very cryptic way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even to an experienced programmer, maybe the error messages are fine and they're very helpful but just to someone that doesn't know the key terms, right? I don't really have a solution for this, but it's just, it's it's very opaque, right? It's, oh, I missed a semicolon and it says something doesn't exist. Or, oh, I missed a curly brace and <laughs> it says that this thing is inside of this other thing, but I don't even understand what this other thing is. Like, where's that coming from? Right. So the more, the, the more I can stress and convey the idea that like a computer is actually a physical thing, right? And it's, the, all the operations are physical. Like when we're talking about four bytes of data, that isn't some theoretical or ethereal concept. It actually is, you know, there are this many bits set to this, right? I mean, I, I start off, you know, when I'm teaching the binary, just using those little, I don't know if you ever saw them like in math class when you were a kid, but those little like blue cubes and you have different ones. You have the individual ones and then you have like sets of five and sets of 10. And that's a, great way to teach kids to count because it's just like okay look at it when you add these together what do you get you're like oh you start to develop an intuition oh that looks like about 12 and then you you know actually go through and add them up and you're like oh well that's probably i don't know about 400 and then you kind of go through and you know confirm your suspicions um right and yeah i, I think that works much better for programming uh, at least specifically programming games when you have such a short time period to like start to gain expertise. I mean, there are, 
there are other computer science courses uh, that you know people might take, either at community colleges or first year university, where I, I mean you know they start with doing like data flow diagrams and like UML and stuff like that, and that is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you know, for, for me, that was always very confusing and just very, um, it always sort of makes you feel guilty that you like, aren't thinking about the problem in the right way. It's like, oh, I mm. can't see a graph of this. I must have no idea what's going on or, oh, right. I don't actually know what my object hierarchy is. I don't understand the problem. <laughs> and maybe to a degree that there's an element of truth to that, but it's sort of, you want to focus on the correct thing and not these other details. Because I think you get, you know, you get the right architecture when you're thinking about the problem specifically and then going from there rather than trying to like get to the architecture through, you know, like the, you know, the UML diagram or class hierarchy or whatever. Yeah, well, it's pretty interesting because I had a super similar experience with, you know, object-oriented programming and UML diagrams and all this stuff. I kept feeling like I wasn't modeling my problem correctly. And... Uh, if you think about it in retrospect, I would always think of like, oh, well, um, they're introducing us to UML, which means the text was the hard part. Like the actual typing in of the code with the syntax, all these things was the hard part. But looking back, I'm like, no, that's totally not the right thing. The hard part wasn't the text at all. I mean, the hard text is annoying. And, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the stuff I've been yeah, doing. Yes. With, yeah. With I've but, seen <laughs> some of the stuff you're working on, uh, which a, yeah. is very exciting because I... I <laughs> While text is annoying, I'm totally used to it. But every single semester, I have right. to teach the text to new people. And it is right. always, I mean, you know, I, I think there is something, I, I don't know if it's uh, coming from people's like backgrounds or their interests or just maybe, you know, the, the way certain brains work, right? I mean, some people have a lot easier time with the text than other people, uh, where yeah. it's just... I mean, you know, it's like sometimes students just they literally don't see the curly brace, right? It's just that sort of background information. It's like, I don't understand why this isn't working. It's like, right. oh, you you got that like one over to the left, right? Or something like that. Right. That's, that's coming before uh, this, you know, this method or this function call. And yeah, I right. mean, that's just um, it, it, the text is the text is very annoying. <laughs> right. Yeah. But even then, like, even though they've removed the text, because, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, text is like, ah. Uh, but um, the complicated part about, like, class hierarchies and all these things doesn't seem to be the text. It just seems like, like, they took a complicated concept and represented it in a different way, but it's still a complicated concept, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's just sort of, like, moving, like moving the goalposts, right? Um, and someone yeah. that did, like, a lot of functional programming in, in college, because uh, I, I knew, like, one semester with Java was enough for me. I'm like, eh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super into this. I was lucky. I, I had a professor, my data structures professor at uh, UT Austin was a big Lisp old timer with, you know, all the, the pros and cons of that. But it really, I mean, I think in the handmade network, we kind of all know that to a degree programming is very dogmatic and there's kind of a lot of yes philosophies and feelings about this, but I was, and I wouldn't say he was overly dogmatic, but I certainly latched on to whatever dogma was there, right? And it was like, oh, okay, okay, interesting. I get it. Like, code is data. All right, I don't like objects <laughs> anymore. I don't like classes. Um, not not that I ever really did, because <laughs> there, there's something about it, like it. It was always very hard for me. Those those assignments, I just totally flunked in like my intro mm -hmm. programming class. I'm like, wow, I have no idea like how to model this. Um, 
And then mm. it would be a mess, right? And someone's like, oh, you made a global variable minus five points. That's, you know, <laughs> right. that should really yeah. be in, you know, in a class or um, in, you know, static class or something like that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was really into the, the functional programming and the Lisp stuff. But again, it, it sort of had that same effect, which I realized later was, you know, you get in this situation where you're like, oh, well, I feel guilty and dumb that I can't do this functionally. And that must mean hmm. there's something wrong with either what I want to do, right? Like I am modeling the problem incorrectly or there's something so, you know, messy or, you know, in bad form about my code that I'm unable to express this the, you know, the proper way, the, the best practice. Um, right. So I, I feel like that's honestly one of the biggest impediments that students have coming into programming it's why I tend to not really focus or not even use the term best practice ever because like once you interject that idea and get it sort yeah. of in the brain it just it's it, it's this nagging feeling of like oh I I'm not doing things the proper way and right. this is going to cause I don't know what problem it's going to cause but it will be an insurmountable difficult problem to overcome in the future where I'm looking at that code I'm like this is like a 400 line CPP file for a simple game. Like you're fine. Like nothing you're going to do is going to be so bad that six months from now or a year, you're just going to be, you know, completely miserable and have this un unusable yeah. project. Right. I mean, it'll still compile. You can use a debugger. You can think about the problem. It'll be okay. I mean, that's not to say don't use best practices. Um, or I mean, again, I really don't like that term, but like it's, yeah, don't use, don't not do things well, still do things well, but kind of develop that over time, right? And develop a, a feeling and an intuition for what works and what doesn't work. You want to be very, um, very introspective and analytical about the code you write and how things uh, work and behave. Like if you're writing parsers, right? Something like that. You, you don't want to just totally hack it together. But also, I don't think you want to like pull out the the dragon book or whatever and <laughs> go go off of that because it's not necessarily actually solving your problem in a nicer way. It's just sort yeah. of solving it in a way someone else did. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I th I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I I started learning C in the way that most people do. Uh, which is like this object-oriented kind of way where people talk about classes and object models and all this stuff. And eventually I found Handmade and I got away from that. Um, and I'm not like going back to that, but what I've been noticing recently, uh, especially like I've been researching for, you know, for the project that I've been working on, there's, I've been talking uh, or looking into Lisp and like I've been thinking about abstraction layers and stuff like that. And all those are things that actually come up in Handmade Hero too, but it, I think maybe what happened was that people sliced them like sliced in the wrong direction. Like they, they thought abstraction was the point when it's really just like a useful piece in the toolbox. Um, and same thing with functional programming too. It feels like there are times when I'm like, Oh, it's really interesting to think about um, this in an immutable way. Cause it makes this whole structure of code, like so much more cleanly specified, but it's not like that was the point of the code. Like the point of the code was to run and get the thing on the screen. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sliced in the wrong way is kind of a good way to put that because it's, I mean, again, it's not, it's not that you don't want abstractions, right? Because I think you obviously do. It's a, it's a very right. powerful tool. I mean, I want when, because like as a game designer, when I'm writing, you know, 
right? Writing a game. I don't necessarily want to be writing everything out as a recipe step by step and changing every variable. I mean, you know, that's why we have, that's why we have functions, right? That's why we have procedures. That's why we have data that isn't just all, you know, clumped together. Right. But yeah, I mean, you, you do want that. And again, I don't think this is any surprise to anyone in handmade, but like you want that to be informed by the data and by the problem that you're solving and how you want to express it. Um, I mean, and this is something I feel just as a game designer, uh, you know, working in an engine, there are times where it's like, you you know, I'm I'm kind of bad about jumping around between projects. I never really abandon projects, but I definitely go like, oh, hey, I've got a great idea. That's what I'll do this weekend because, you know, I'm feeling (laughs) a little bummed out about this thing. I don't know what to do. So I'll just I'll take a couple days break. And then I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, wait, actually, all of these assumptions now no longer hold. Right. Right. And I find that usually the answer to that is not, oh, okay, I'll create, I'll, I'll go up one level, right? I'll be more general. It's usually just like, okay, well, I just, I don't know, render, render skeletal meshes a little bit differently now, right? Like, right. you know, co- yeah. collect that data in a different pass or store that somewhere else. And it isn't, like, I wouldn't say that that isn't an abstraction because the abstraction is still there. There's still some idea of collecting some stuff. And then you want to do some stuff to it and then render it. It's just that what that abstraction is, isn't so far removed that I don't even have to think about it because like, I want to think about it as a game designer. um, I want to know where things are happening because that's, you know, if I need to make any, uh, you know, design decisions, that's where they need to happen. Right. They need, they, they need that, uh, that detail, which is another thing that I think is, you know, particularly important in my my teaching uh, life is getting students to think uh, just very concretely about how they break down problems, right? And how mm-hmm. you actually describe the things that happen. Because I mean, we we have a, a few courses, right? So there's kind of the the C plus plus side, um, which was which is uh, kind of all of the things that I was able to get into the curriculum and. You, you know, l- luckily in Dallas, we have a pretty good, you know, game developers uh, space. I mean, you know, we've got Gearbox and id and stuff. So it's very easy to find programmers and be like, yes, yeah. uh, no, we do want your students to know what a pointer is. And it's very easy for me to prove <laughs> that to people that like, hey, we need this new course because, you know, Bill said everyone should know right. what a pointer is. And like, yeah. I don't know why we haven't been teaching that, but like, or, you know, dot product, right? Like I, uh, I've been teaching a math class for the last um, last year now. And that's a big thing where it's just like, you know, we have to know what the dot product is. We have to know what vectors and quaternions are. That's just required knowledge. But like, there's also sort of the more, um, you know, general generalist side of things, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, we'll learn Unity. We'll do some stuff in blueprints and so on. Right. But it gets very hard when it's like, oh, hey, I want to move a character between two points. Okay, so I create like an animation graph and then I grab some nodes and then I create like a timeline of that event. And it's just like, okay, no, but like, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to move that thing along a line. I'm like, how could you move a point along a line, right? You could just add a number to it in a direction, right? And then you don't, (laughs) you aren't making a graph and a timeline and all of this type of stuff. Um, Yeah. I mean, I had a a student recently who had taken my math class before and he was working 
one of the things that the students do, we have, you know, the programming department, the, and then like the art side of things. Right. And they take uh, three classes over uh, their, their student life. And they, you know, the, the artists and the programmers get together and they, they build games as like a big group project. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my student came to me and he's like, okay, Hey, I'm having this problem in unreal blueprints. Um, and I know it's gimbal lock. I know from your math class, I'm a hundred percent certain I proved it to myself, which first of all, it was just thrilling. Right. I'm like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Now this is exactly why there's a math class. But then when it's like, you know, we look at the blueprint, it's kind of just, it, it's at such a far away level. Right. I kind of have to like walk him back and it's like, okay, so we know about rotation now. So if you're just looking at this timeline rotator thing that maybe a level designer gave you, it's like, what do you like, what do you know has to be happening behind the scenes? And he's like, Oh, well, okay. So we must be applying these rotations in a certain order. Right. I mean, there's, there's some order. We've got some Euler angles, right. something is happening. Right. I'm like, and at the back end, I mean, maybe it's a quaternion, but it's at least getting to a matrix at the end of the day, right? And almost guaranteed right. it's a quaternion somewhere in there, right? So it's like, yeah. how can we how can we walk this back, right? Um, and I think that's just a that's the thing I know I had a lot of trouble with starting out is just again getting getting rid of the layers between you and the problem. I mean, I think it's fine to add layers uh, to to problems and to be more expressive and helpful, but it is really troublesome when it's just like, oh, the layer is just there, right? I have to, I'm yeah. dealing with this thing over here and this thing over here, and there's just this layer and some stuff happens, and I don't know how to bridge that gap. Right, definitely. Um, do you find that there are different, uh, I, I'm thinking about the differences between, say, like a college-age student, and I think you said you taught Maybe I I don't remember if you said elementary school or middle school. Like I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, I've, um, I've taught middle school, high school, and college, and now I oh, also, gotcha. I, I tutor some some high schoolers. Um, you know, I I pretty much treat it like piano lessons, right? You know, they gotcha. they come, hang out, we talk about stuff, show them exercises, techniques, etc. And then yeah, the the college students. Gotcha. Okay, so I'm wondering if there's like a difference between how easy it is for people to grasp like. Um, this idea of layers and abstraction and like, is, do you find it's easier for say middle school students to grasp that or is it harder for them for, uh, as opposed to uh, the college level students? Like, I'm curious if they are, I'm curious if the introduction of those mental models along the way is the cause for that being maybe difficult for somebody to get rid of that idea or if it's just an inherent quality in the way people tend to learn and uh, it, happens to be difficult or wh yeah, whatever. I, mean, I, I wish that I had maybe a more rigorous or confident answer for that. My, my mm -hmm. intuition and the way I feel about the problem is that it really is just a very individualistic trait. Um, Interesting. And of, of course it's hard. Cause it's like, I really, I, unfortunately I can't teach intro to programming to a 14 year old and that same 14 year old, eight years later, right? It's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how they would approach that differently then. Yeah. Uh, which is of course what fair. you would really need to be able to suss that out. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there is something I, I will say, I think there is something that younger students are sometimes a bit more 
willing maybe to accept the very low level description of things um interesting and i mean and part of that might just be sort of you know the background of the students right um it it, you know it tends to be that in you know in in the dallas area with homeschoolers right there are very often kids coming from a family uh where at least one parent you know is sort of in the tech industry or technically minded, right? Maybe not on the software side, but it's like, oh yeah, right. you know, my mom's an engineer. My dad teaches chemistry, you know, something along those lines, right? Versus I find, you know, in community college, it's a lot more common that, you know, these are these are kids coming in kind of like, okay, I've, I've liked games my whole life, right? I've really been interested and passionate about it but I kind of don't know what to do, right? I'm, I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm working one, two jobs and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. And so I'm going to go into this and sort of explore it, right? And so I think that does just kind of give a different, uh, you know, background and experience in, in, into things, right? I think sometimes, and part of it's also just freshness, right? If a student comes out of a physics class where they were talking about electricity and then I'm mm-hmm. talking about, you know, how computers are physical things, that's a little different than, you know, a 20-year-old who hasn't been in, you know, a physics class for maybe like six years going right. like, oh, okay, wait, hold on. What? Like, are you, <laughs> like, or, or, like, are you lying to me, right? Are you oversimplifying things? Because that's a big thing that happens in education too, is just sort of the, I mean, I think this gets back to abstraction, right? The The metaphorical or the, you know, the allegorical model of things where it's like, when I right. say it's a physical thing, I, I actually really do mean physically there's electricity, like it, you could measure it, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, okay, but surely there must be something else going on, right? There must be a more complicated layer or some sort of magical thing. But again, it's like, I, I, I wouldn't even say that's like the majority of my college students. I just, I think... I, I think it tends to be the older you get, the less likely you are to just believe a thing that a person tells you. You're going to be you know, <laughs> maybe a little bit more skeptical, right? And you kind of yeah, w- yeah, want to prove it to yourself. Um, but I mean, also it might be so for the, you know, for the high schoolers, they're programming on a Raspberry Pi, right? I mean, you know, it's got a clear case; they can look at it. I mean, it's there's really not a whole lot there. I mean, there's you know, obviously a ton there, but it's like it's this right. little box. It's like where else could it be right versus yeah. you know students it's it's on a laptop it's on you know a, a you know a computer at school that they had to log into and then that went to a network and then it updated for five minutes and then you know their their essay got deleted in the cloud it, it's like it's a much bigger involved machine yeah that's really interesting so it's it almost sounds like there's like selective there's like a selection happening there where there's like a lot of the high schoolers tend to be really interested in these like lower level or maybe um, maybe they just like the idea of physical computers more and they want to sort of experiment with that versus college level. It's like people who are like, I don't know, I'm going into this field. Like I want to learn how to make computers work. So it's like a different, I guess it's like, it's probably a different sample size and also a different like sample selection method. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, college kids are coming in like they, it's not necessarily so, you know, practical as like, oh, I want a job, right? I want to make money. But it's like, you know, I want to, I want to be, you know, a functioning adult, right? I, I want to envision <laughs> my life and like develop the skills to do that. 
you know, a 14 year old is like still figuring all of that stuff out. Doesn't even really know what that would mean. And it's like, well, I, maybe I need to learn some things about this, right? Yeah. Maybe I just need to figure out, uh, you know, how things work. Right. Yeah. That, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely respect your point about it being such an individually based thing. Um, because I've thought a lot about this idea of like coming from the top down versus the ground up. And for me, it was like a top down thing. Like I learned a bunch of high level stuff first and then I kind of drilled down over time. Uh, but then you hear other stories where people are like, yeah, I learned how to program assembly in like the eighties or something. And I'm like, I don't know how you did that, but like, that's awesome. And, um, but on that note, I'm curious how you come coming from like the education, uh, educational side, how do you design a course for accounting for those differences? Um, because I would, just, I would, I would think, I mean, it's kind of like the abstraction problem. Like you're trying to abstract over something that's like very difficult to abstract over, um, uh, or multiple things that are difficult mm -hmm. to make the same. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what's your strategy? Like if you're sitting down and you're like, I'm going to make a course for programming games or programming really anything. Um, what's the strategy look like? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a really good question. So I tend to approach it. Uh, I, I mean, there's, there's kind of two aspects. One is I, I think of it kind of like a game design problem, right? Because it's very much got this, uh, you know, sort of onboarding aspect to it. I mean, that's another thing about community college that might be different than than high school or a four-year university is mm -hmm. not only do you have people coming from a lot of different backgrounds, but you don't even necessarily know what courses they've taken before, right? Maybe they've already taken college algebra. Maybe they haven't, right? Maybe they did calculus in high school. Maybe they haven't. And, you know, computer science at a four-year university doesn't really have to worry about that, right? Because, you know, they just list all the prereqs and, you know, make tuition very expensive. And, you know, <laughs> you just expect everyone to have this sort of background. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I really do have to think a lot about, okay, sort of what, what is the minimum amount of information that is necessary to convey, right? Like how, how can I uh, introduce this, uh, this content in a very like approachable, easy way at the beginning, right? And I mean, even given all of the differences in how people learn and how, how they approach problems, I definitely think that there are not even think, but what I try to do is to be as honest and straightforward just about what's really going on, right? So, hmm. you know, I mean, there are, you know, there are some people, yeah, who might take a Python course and their idea of a for loop is you have this sort of like set of data and you iterate over the elements in that data and some stuff happens, right? Or, I mean, you know, even if you're doing something in Unity with lists, right? You might do four each, et cetera, right? Right. But, I, you know, I, I really make a <clears throat> uh, very like rigorous effort to just sort of explain what's going on in the machine all the time, right? So it's like, hey, we have a for loop, right? So we've got a variable uh, that's somewhere in memory when we say the name of that variable, we're getting the value of it. We are copying data over from this place to this place, right? Every time through the for loop, you're doing some instructions, right? I'm not really breaking it down to like the assembly level, right? We aren't looking at, right. you know, the, the codes, but, but yeah, it's, I, I think when you, when you just present information like clearly and honestly, that's mm -hmm. sort of the foundation that everyone has. And then 
because things I think are very personal, you just kind of need to take it on a case by case basis. Right. Um, now, yeah. obviously, there's only so much you can do, right, in a class of, I mean, luckily, my classes are relatively small. We're talking, you know, at the high school level, like five to 10, and at the college level, you know, around like 10 to 20, right? Gotcha. So, you know, yeah. and there's, I, I definitely spend the majority of my time, uh, you know, doing lab work with people, right? I, I try to keep uh, lectures very much, uh, again, sort of may, maybe a little bit if like the Zachtronics model, if you want to think about this in terms of game design, right? Where it's like, okay, here's a yeah. manual, right? Okay, here's here's a for loop. You know, it's written content uh, that you know I can give them. They can review. They can look it over, type it in, convince themselves it works. O open a debugger. That's a big thing. Um, like <laughs> actually teaching people how to use a debugger very early, because uh, I didn't learn how to use a debugger until like my operating systems class, and then it was GDB. And it was like very toy programs and no one right. was like, this is a really useful tool. You should know how to use and use it all the time. It's like, oh, this is for like <laughs> toy programs. If I just want to like make sure, you know, my, my pointer isn't null or whatever. Right. So getting them, you know, so they get an opportunity to have hands-on experience and then they start to, they, they have the opportunity to experiment with things and try things out how they want. Right. So that means that, you know, no matter how they learn, they're going to be able to start to think about things and approach things maybe in the way that they want. So, I mean, it, it just so happens in uh, like the, the C++ game dev class I teach at the college, we tend to get, I think just for historical reasons, we tend to get a lot of students from like interactive media, right? So these are students hmm. that they're, they're sort of interested in like web design and animation. And so the way they're going to look at a C++ game engine, right, is is very different uh, and usually a little <laughs> bit more alarmed than someone who's already had intro to programming, right? Yeah. But if, again, it's just sort of like, okay, here, like, here's the manual. Here's the fundamental things of, of, of how it works, right? I understand if it doesn't make sense. You don't believe me. It can't be this simple. There's no way we're doing this with electricity. But it's like you you can sort of work through that and you can start to prove it to yourself. So – I, I notice they start to do stuff with input much more quickly. They're like, okay, I want, I want a mouse cursor. I want like a mouse cursor yesterday. Uh, I want to start <laughs> changing the color of things right now. Whereas, you know, students maybe coming from a more programming standpoint are sort of looking at it like, okay, so I've got, I've got some data, right? Well, I want to start making my own data. I, I want to make a struct. I want an array of things. I want to, I, I want to iterate and like print out the values, right? I don't even want to see the colors. I just want to see, okay, what order are things coming in, right? Is it like RGB, BGR, like, oh, there's an alpha channel. What, what is alpha? I, I haven't heard of that before. Whereas of course, you know, interactive media students, they know what alpha is and they kind of, you know, start using it right away, right? Um, right. so I, I think the, yeah, so just in general, the way I approach it is to make it as interactive and sort of tweakable and playable as, as, as you can right away. Um, and then, you, you know, let the students sort of, you know, even develop their own, uh, you know, metaphors or, you know, maybe abstractions for how things are going. Right. I mean, so to, to mention colors specifically, I mean, 
you know, colors in graphics programmer land are zero to one. It's the most natural thing in the world to me. I don't even think about it. It's like zero to one is a normalized value. But some people are like, that doesn't make any sense. I need it like in terms of percentages. So it's like, Mm. I get that like one is a hundred percent. Sure. Whatever. But like, no, I want it to be a hundred and I want it to be like (laughs) 55.5. I don't want 0.55. That's, that's unacceptable. Um, Whereas other (laughs) students are much more thinking about it in terms of like, well, actually, no, I kind of do want it in terms of color spaces. Right. I want to be, you know, maybe, very natural thing for a programmer is like, hey, I'm going to just R, the, like the red color, the red channel is just, I'm going to make it a sine wave. I'm going to, you know, bump it up so that we aren't going negative, right? Yeah. Much more natural thing for an interactive media person is, okay, like I, I want to be moving the hue around, right? I want to be changing the saturation, these types of things, because just sort of their conceptual models of it is is very different. Interesting. So do you take that philosophy from the, like, I would assume, like, because you mentioned that you have your own educational engine that you use to teach these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have to, you, I'm, I'm assuming you have to use that idea all the time when you're, like, designing APIs. Like, hey, here's the hue saturation uh, value version of this function or whatever that you can call if you want to think about hue uh you know you can specify value from zero to one if you want to change the hue or whatever versus like hey here's the rgb api which all the programmer kids are going to use or something um and that's like what's going to be used in the graphics back end like you can tweak the values that way um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming like that's always coming up in your head all the time like this idea of learnability tweakability in the api simple interfaces that kind of thing yeah i Definitely to a degree. Um, I mean, it, it tends to be more in that very early stage of just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, and, and very lightweight things, right? Just like, oh, I want some different ways to represent colors, right? Um, gotcha. Or uh, maybe you want uh, different ways to maybe like log values, right? You want to, you just want to be able to log a vector and just give it the vector and not be doing like, you know, percent F, percent F, and then passing the arguments in, right? Because um, again, it's like, you know, some, you know, programmers are going to tend to want very personalized messages. They're very customized to the problem they're trying to solve. Uh, you know, other times people might just be messing around and they literally just want to see the numbers, right? Um, but I, I think in general, it does tend to get kind of, I, I wouldn't say that it doesn't bleed out any further than that, but it does tend to be in the very simple things. And honestly, part of that is, I think, just the fact that the engine is really like ruthlessly simple (laughs) like i there are plenty of times where i think like oh okay actually this would be a really cool handy function to have or this would be a nice you know interface and then i go okay no that's kind of what they need to be learning right and i think that's Mm. kind of a lot of the motivation behind it is again kind of from a game development standpoint it's like oh hey there's this cool thing that's really interesting and i could either make it you you know maybe like you would think of it as like content in the game oh i'm gonna show them this or like no i actually i want them to discover that right i want them to realize that that's actually a really useful way to to do things right or or to uh represent data so you know like like for instance well maybe this isn't super relevant but like Entity component systems might be an example of a thing that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's easy, it's fun, it's great. You just throw on some stuff and you, 
you know, write <laughs> these functions and it's, it's great. And there, there's certainly a time in my programming career um, where I sort of like fetishize that to a degree where it's like, oh, this is what they did in System Shock. This is a good idea. <laughs> Uh, I like right. I love System Shock. Like that's a great game. So you know what what could be better? But and so you know it's a little disingenuous to say, oh well, I don't do this in the engine because I want them to discover it for themselves. Because really, I want them to discover like, okay, no, actually, what you need is like you need an array and you need a for loop. <laughs> You've now you you have now begun programming your game. Congratulations. <clears throat> but. It's, I really do try to keep things just very, very straightforward. So for instance, there's no like physics system in the engine whatsoever. Uh, there's a very simple, uh, you, you know, like functions for detecting uh, overlap and like penetration points between sheets, right. um, but also <clears throat> only between circles and uh, access line bounding boxes. Right. And then I let okay. students in game engine kind of go, okay, well, Hold on, like okay, access line bounding box. What if we don't want an access line? Like, what are we gonna do there, right? Because <laughs> yeah. um, you know that's a great way to learn about uh, SAT and and things like that. Um, right. So, and and that is so, sort of again because it it allows them to uh, create their own abstractions and models of thinking about these things because it's just it's very helpful to know like okay. The, the way physics works in a the game, there, there really isn't any actual physics happening, right? What we're doing is we get into an impossible state where two things are occupying the exact <laughs> same space. And then we freak out and we try to solve it as fast as we possibly can so that no right. one ever sees, right? And it's just, you know, it's it's <clears> more <throat> important for them to understand that idea and then start to think about how they want to do it. Because maybe... Uh, maybe they are, you know, coming from sort of a physics perspective or background. Those are, you know, the games they like, right? And so they're like, okay, hey, I'm going to start taking that and I want to start building out, you know, just a very simple physics engine where it's just, hey, I've got some things with some positions. I'm going to detect the overlaps, fix them. And I've may got maybe like a static dynamic idea, right? Um, right. And then you get students, uh, you know, they maybe do that in a platformer and everything's fine but then you've got other students that are doing that in like a top-down shooter right and really quickly they're going to run into like broad phase narrow phase problems because they've right. got even just 50 enemies on the screen right 100 enemies it's you know they start to notice okay wait something seems wrong here yeah and so then it's like okay rather than having this sort of you know, broad phase idea baked into the engine, right? Or trying to take it as like, oh, I'll, I'll represent this in multiple ways so people can sort of pick and choose. It's more just like, okay, you have now encountered a problem. You're, you're doing too much collision detection. What are ways you might think of solving that? And then, you know, people have various, you know, solutions, right? Sometimes, oh, it's, I divide the screen up or, oh, actually, you know, what I do is uh, I store you know, just a couple of boxes, right? Like, you know, at the corners, right? Then I'm going to do maybe like keep track of collisions in those to store like where things are. I mean, there could be hmm. a little bit of coaching there where I'm kind of like, well, okay, but like <laughs> maybe we don't, like maybe you could just have a buffer of things, right? Uh, maybe you don't need to be, I think particularly when you're coming from kind of Unity land, it's like, oh, I know. Another yeah. game object will solve my problem. I'll, I'll create <laughs> another component and another right. entity that shows up in the editor and does this thing where it's like, okay, well, 
you got fixed top-down shooter. You know the bounds of your screen, right? right. Uh, the camera isn't moving, things like that. Um, and then, you know, I have other students that are like, oh, well, you know, it's could I use, like, I don't know, could I use the camera for this? And again, it's kind of like, well, okay, there's this thing, frustum calling, but no, because that doesn't give you what you want in this case. And it's like, could I use multiple cameras? I'm like, yeah, but please, no, like, I really, I, I wouldn't recommend that. That seems like a weird way. Because again, yeah. it's like you, you, you get that experience of just sort of thinking about solutions to the problem. I mean, you know, I, I had this happen to me just the other day. I was doing some like meta programming stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. all right, I, uh, all right, I'll put it in a hash table, and then like I'm gonna get the variables like from the hash table, and I've got this union, and I was doing it, and I'm like, oh, this. No, I'm not. I, I don't like anything about where this is going. There, there's got to be something better. And just sort of as as typing it out, right? It's like I get done. I look at it. I'm like, yikes, uh, that's not going to get committed. And then it's just immediately it's like, wait, hold on a second. I, you know, I've got the solution, right? It's like I yeah. just generate a struct, you know, you know, get some like runtime, uh, you know, introspection. And then that way, you know, that solves all the problems. It makes reloading the file a lot easier. Um, right. And yeah, and then you you aren't you know, I, I don't know why I did the hash table, honestly. That was a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's and I, I think it's good for students to to get that experience for themselves, right? I mean, the more stupid problems you encounter and horrible solutions you implement. Yeah. Again, kind of coming back to the best practices thing. I mean, we we think I, I don't know why. I think part of it is uh when you're dealing on large teams and you want to hire engineers and you want them to do things, you want them to not mess everything up. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's noble, right. That's a, that's a reasonable expectation, but it's also like when you just start teaching, Oh, well to start collision detection, we need a broad phase and an arrow phase. It's like, right. why though? Um, yeah. I mean, like even why is this so slow? Like they're boxes. They aren't, it it should be easy, right? I mean, like I do a lot of stuff with numbers all the time. That shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. And then it's like, and there's no square because you know it's like your beginner programmer. It's like it's always square roots. It's like I'm not even using a square root. This should be really fast. It's like okay, well let's <laughs> let, let's think about this, right? Let's let's think about actually how much we're doing, uh, when we're doing it, and you know all those things. And then of course you can start to you know talk about you know the 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 way the data is laid out. Like oh, you know, is it you know, cache, uh, efficient in the cache and near each other and so on and so on. Right. Yeah, that definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, it's pretty interesting that, uh, it kind of seems to come down all to the first principles, which is basically that you have a problem, you're trying to solve it and, uh, abstractions are useful to introduce when you're solving that problem. But I think what people tend to do is they like take lessons that, of about abstractions that they learned from one problem and then like run over to everybody else working on different problems and say, I found the abstraction that solves the problem. But they're like, uh, I mean, uh, I don't think it goes this way in practice. Like a lot of the time they're like, Oh great. Like, let me try it out. And then it turns out super bad. Um, mm -hmm. but really like, uh, it sounds, it's, it, it seems more and more to me that it's more like, uh, I'm not solving that problem, you know? And I think, um, it's interesting to think about APIs as like a, as a compression for certain operations. And mm -hmm. when you compress, you lose information. Um, and some information you don't need and other information you do need. Like, I don't know if, um, I don't know if you were at handmade Seattle. Um, but 
uh, Mike Acton spoke there and he was like, a light switch is a compress. It's a useful abstraction. He was talking about it as, a, as abstractions, but like, uh-huh. it's an abstraction that I like to use because even though I know how the wiring works, I still want to use it after. Like, it's it's a useful abstraction, but. Um, Okay, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't. I've watched multiple Mike Acton talks, uh, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that one because uh, I don't, I don't know if there wasn't a VOD or maybe I just missed it. Uh, yeah, I don't right think now. there has been one posted. At oh, the okay, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, but flipping that around to like the compression side, it's like, what if you wanted to make a light switch that like didn't just turn on and off or like had a fading or maybe there's an RG or like an LED and you want to change the levels of the RGB or something. It's like you're compressing for different things. And it sounds like the students have the same problem where, um, you know, if they're solving a problem where there's 10 enemies on the screen, there's, they're like broad, broad phase, narrow phase. Like, what are you talking about? There's like 10 things on the screen versus somebody making a shoot em up. And it's like, oh my God, there's like a thousand things on the screen. Like, how do I possibly ever solve this problem? Yeah, right. And it becomes a, like, it's not necessarily that it becomes dogma, because I mean, I think it's yeah. pretty reasonable to, you know, I've written quite a lot of collision detection things, and <laughs> it's pretty reasonable to have a broad phase and an arrow phase. Like, if I were doing it from the beginning, and, and I and I didn't like know, oh, hey, it's like four things. Um, yeah, then, okay, you know, I would I, I would do this. But I just think that there isn't a whole lot like there are a lot of cases where I think it's really helpful to identify these. And and that's one of the things that I try to do with my teaching style is like, I, I never record lectures. I don't like write down extensive course notes or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a book or anything, uh, though I've certainly considered it because when you have this like fresh approach to things, you, you start to notice things. Right. And like the collision detection was a thing I just noticed like, Hey, the odds of someone encountering this problem are really, really high. So the odds yeah. that every student is going to get through the course, finding this out for themselves, it's kind of a no-brainer to just let <laughs> them do that. Um, whereas yeah. there are other things where it's like maybe a lot of students uh, wouldn't – try. I'm trying to think of an example. It's like uh, – well, okay, okay, so like – custom calling uh, for rendering, right? It's mm-hmm. totally likely that most students, I mean, it's not on screen. Why would I even think about it? Of course, <laughs> some, like, of course it's not getting drawn. It's not on screen. It's like, well, <laughs> sorry, but it's like, you know, the odds of you encountering that problem are actually really low. Cause you know, it's a simple 2d engine uh, running on, you know, kind of monster machines that are supposed to run unreal and have all this Ram. It's, <laughs> Yeah. So it might be useful to say like, okay, hey, let me just point out that this thing is going on, right? right. Um, not, yeah. oh, don't do anything until you frust them call because you'll be miserable. <laughs> but just like, okay, hey, has anyone ever thought about like where all those things are when they're not on screen? Like, <laughs> why don't they get drawn? Are, are they actually not getting drawn? Like, are they not going to the GPU? Are they deleted? Right. You know, what's what's going on there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do, do you, um, do you talk about, I would, I would assume there's like, there's only so much content you can fit in the course, but I'm, I'm curious of, uh, like, do you get into profiling and, and bottlenecks and like everything like that? Um, yeah. So the course, the, there, there's a new course I'm doing this semester, which is game engine, uh, which I'm okay. very excited for. Um, so yeah. it's sort of like the 
you, you know, when I started there, the new degree degree went into effect. And now I'm sort of getting like the first group of students who've gone through, you know, they've learned programming the way I want them to. And, you know, we've talked about the stuff. And so now it's kind of like, all right, so we've been using this engine. How are we going to approach this? Um, Interesting. I think we're definitely going to talk a little bit about profiling just in the, uh, like, purely in the practical sense, right? Of just like, okay, well, because again, it's kind of like a debugger. It's just, it is really insanely useful to be able to know how fast your code goes, right? I mean, even right. just the thing like, like how many frames am I getting? It looks like 60, but is it 60? Is it 55? Like, did it just yeah. drop down to 40 one time? It's like, it's very useful to know that. Yeah. Um, And then we definitely do talk a little bit um, in like the Unity course about some of this stuff, uh, just because there's, I mean, I, I'm not a Unity expert um, by any means, but you know, there are rudimentary, at, at least from my perspective, profiling options. And probably you can dig a lot further into it um, where it's yeah. just, it can be things like, okay, well, let's just look like how many times are we allocating every frame, right? Okay, well, maybe we need, you know, an, an object pool, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, like how you know just basic things like what is what is the fps right things like that um so we yeah. definitely talk about it um I, I tend to in that unity course that's where we tend to talk about performance the most because it is frankly just really easy to run into a problem uh with performance <laughs> where yeah i mean you know it's like when they're doing the 2d stuff it's like it's just writing positions into a buffer and like sending that over to the gpu it's really uh, I'm not even doing anything fancy to be super performant. It's very simple. It's just also computers are very fast. Yeah. But with Unity, it, it is more like, hey, I'm making, you know, I'm, a, I'm trying to do a MOBA or top-down shooter or, you know, whatever. Right. I, I'm running into these issues, right? Maybe it's even like, uh, you know, oh, I'm running my skeletal animations for every entity in the world all the time, no matter right. what. Um, so we tend to get into that stuff more. But yeah, I would say it's definitely on sort of a case-by-case -case basis. And I'm hoping in the engine course, um, maybe either I will, you know, find a good way to talk about it or, you know, ideally, right, find a really good example where I'm like, boy, if they're writing their own engine, they're going to hit this fast. Yeah. And then they're all <laughs> going to figure it out. They're going to be talking, you know, on the, you know, Discord or whatever. And they're going to be like, uh, hey, is anyone else's engine, like, not really running well anymore yeah, like, like is anyone else getting this problem uh <laughs> yeah. and then you know they can talk about it um but it's, yeah. it's always difficult because it's like i don't want to do the thing where i like i lead them astray right where i'm like hey for this week's assignment uh i want you to write a for loop that uh puts a like does new all game object every frame <laughs> and like notice that your game runs really slowly right because then that's kind of contrived right it's not really I, I mm -hmm. sort of set a trap for them rather than just letting them work on the problem naturally and then come to the natural issues that you know you might have with that right yeah yeah that's the reason i ask because um you mentioned like the square root thing like it's like i'm not i'm not using a square root like it should be lightning fast but it's like um i remember like opening up a profiler i wrote a prof uh, profiler like um, for the first time, probably like a couple years ago for mm -hmm. uh, a game I was working on. And it's just like, you, you turn it on and it's like, oh, hey, I didn't realize so much time was being spent there. Like I, and I was looking at this other part of the code over here that's like completely different. 
and I thought it had, I thought that this was running slow because I had some mental model about why this was slow, but then I looked and it was like, no, it's all in the GPU stuff or like, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a thing that, uh, I, I, th I think it's really important, yeah, to just, like, find those things, right? Because it's it's very mm -hmm. surprising. And once you've been surprised once, I mean, you know, I was talking to someone uh, the other day about um, a shader for uh, this puzzle game. And they were they, they're sort of asking me about it. And they're like, oh, yeah. So it's like I assumed, like, you know, you, you, you did something to, like, get rid of the square roots, right? Because you don't want to, like, be doing these square roots in the shade. You, you, don't, you just don't want to do that in a shader, like. Why would right. you do it in a shader? I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got bad news for you. Cause I, you know, I wasn't positive because I honestly hadn't thought about it probably since I started writing it, but I'm like, all right, let's see how many square roots are there. And I'm like, okay, there's, okay. So it looks like four per vertex and there's, you know, there's some, there's some vertices in there. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, and you know, it's like, it's running very performantly, uh, you know, on, you know, relatively low-end machines. So I'm like, you know, that's that's not a concern, right? That's not a performance uh, bottleneck. I'm much more concerned about things like, okay, well, how are the vertices packed, right? Uh, how how mm -hmm. many draw calls are there, right? Because like right now there's more than there needs to be. And that would mm -hmm. probably be a bigger win than just no more square roots. So, right. uh, you know, that's not to say, you know, oh, I'm going to ship on the switch with all these square roots, but it's just sort of being aware because <laughs> I've been surprised by that before. Right. Where I'm like, Oh, well I know from college, the square root is the slowest thing in the world. It takes like, <laughs> uh, you know, a billion cycles to do one of those. <laughs> Wait a second. The sorting function is slow. That's, that's weird. Like, Oh, the, the UI rendering is slow. That there's no square roots in there. What could be, right my profiler is broken uh-oh like i better, <laughs> better figure out what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um yeah do, do, do you um I, I was curious about your like educational engine versus your personal one that you use um for the educational engine do you provide is it more like a framework or do you provide like tooling ui like profilers or uh editors or whatever um yeah i would say it? it's definitely more of a framework um okay yeah i for whatever reason i've never totally liked the term framework i've always just been sort of right i yeah. mean engine isn't really a great word either um usually <laughs> it's I, I call it engine more because students coming into game programming in 2020 are just like they know what an engine is right they right. know oh hey it's the stuff um and, and part of it's just kind of the idea of like okay look like if you want to if you want to make a 2d game and there's plenty of people that do coming into school right mm -hmm. like you don't need a 10 million line it's probably not 10 million lines but you don't need like multi-million line engines right uh you don't need to build unreal on your home computer to get a window and a sprite on the screen right i th i thought unreal was like 13 million lines of code maybe that's not okay true. yeah i don't know I, mean, I don't i, I think i'm thinking I of <laughs> the Casey Miratori talk, uh, which now that I think about it, maybe that's the hundred million line problem. It's probably the ten million line problem. It's... Oh, never mind. It looks like there's only like two or three million in Unreal. Oh, okay, I... okay. yeah. That or sounds... wait, that that's Unreal three. I don't know. I could. Yeah, it's probably more later. now, but <laughs> hopefully not like twice as much. Um, and and again, just you know, it's like getting getting students sort of in that mindset where it's like, okay, like really. 
again, I mean, it's the the. I mean, I know other other people say this, like uh, you know, Casey Muratori and Jonathan Blow, but sort of the the problems that the engine solves for you are the problem sort of right away, right? It's like I need a character mm. moving through the world quickly, or hey, I, I just I need physics in my game right now. I want to start having things collide and fall with gravity and ragdoll and all this stuff. Yep. But those just like aren't really, at least in my experience, the hard problems in game development, right? Those aren't the things uh, that keep me up at night and that, you know, like eat away at me. It's like, how am I ever going to get this done? Because it's not like, how am I ever going to get the ragdoll to work to ship the game? It's, you know, it's it's the hard design problems, right? Like, how am I going to get this performant? Um, how how am I going to get this down to one draw call? Like, how on earth am I going to deal with this data in such a way that, you know, I only need to call out once? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So the the term engine is mostly. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of like a marketing thing, right? It's sort of like, okay, so we know about these game engines. Here's another game engine that's very simple, and then you know, I can show them the stuff that I work on and be like, okay, you know, you can kind of. Uh, build into this the, the way i describe it is it's like a game engine that can grow with you right that you can hmm. take and adapt and you can i mean you know it's less than ten thousand lines so it's very easy to copy the directory uh to you know hack it and try something to just even just like copy it hey every time i make a game i'm gonna just copy the code into a new thing and not be right. dealing with oh it's like well now i need a build system and to be <laughs> building certain parts of the code um because yeah. that's honestly that's uh in with uh my my personal uh, i say personal but you know it's like my my company's work um which is uh me and my friend our engine i think you know we made some decisions early on where it's kind of like well you know we we want to be able to build multiple games right we don't have to deal with multiple versions of the engine right right so let's let's set this system up and it, it's nothing crazy like a super complex build system but having used it for a few years now i am just sort of like you know i kind of just want to copy it because it's like yeah i you know this this thing's a 2d game this thing's a 3d game really the the odds of there being a ton of shared code further on in the future and part of that's just it's further developed right it's like oh well hey the platform api is robust enough now i kind of know i don't need more stuff in like windows.cpp i'm relatively comfortable <laughs> and if i do it's like when i ship and i'm not shipping two games simultaneously so I'll yeah. copy the file over later. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, um, you know, as far as like t tools and stuff to address like the specifics of your question, uh, that's something I definitely think I would like to do more of in the future because particular mm -hmm. pain points I have with it are just things like, I, this is a relatively trivial example, but, you know, the, the way it uh, deals with files is just, you know, the basic C api for doing things right and yeah. of course in you know my own engine like you know we have uh like a c c plus plus like preprocessor and we have a whole you know file you, you know api for working with these things right if you want to consume yeah. tokens if you want to you know uh peak characters all this stuff and so i you know i i think having more things like that would be very useful um mm -hmm. like one of the more maybe like feature-ish things of it is there is like an entity database type of model right where it's sort of you mm -hmm. can you can set up types uh you know you you're going to get buffers of certain sizes and you you can obviously it, it's simple enough you can really customize it if you want but it's just sort of like hey 
I want to start thinking about there being like a canonical time that things get deleted or things of a certain type being in this group together. You know, students can do things like that. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah I, I think kind of going forward, probably one of my projects this semester will be just getting things in a nicer place because I do have them right in their sort of advanced game class. It's like, all right, well, hey, uh, we they, they make like a Sokoban game, right? So they mm-hmm. define the levels kind, kind of inspired by puzzle script. They just type them into a text file, parse them. But it's like, all right, so what if we want to start building, you know, a, a level editor, right? And I think realistically, just there kind of isn't enough there to make that a very uh, guided experience. It's a little too hard on the learning curve where it's just like, okay, yeah. well, you want to make a level editor? Write a UI system. And, you know, part of that is, you know, I again, it's like you really need a UI system to write a level editor. No, not really. But you probably want to be able to say, like, if button, right? Or yeah. get text yeah. fields, Um, you know, maybe get like hovered widgets, but nothing super crazy or or complex. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. So for your your personal engine, it sounds like there's um, like I would assume there's like loads of tools for your own game and everything and probably like uh uh, like asset pipelines and everything, editors and stuff. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's another contrast where you know, for our own engine, it's. I, I feel like we design things in a very weird order. Uh, where because again, mm-hmm. we were sort of coming from Unity. We were looking at Handmade Hero. We were, we, you know, we were following along in the early days. Like I probably caught the first couple of episodes of Handmade Hero yeah. and was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. Um, we're gonna work on this. But it's like, we're like, oh, okay, so, well, hey, we want to make a 3D game, right? So we probably need an asset system. Oh, and we want it to be multi-threaded, and we want it to hot load. And, like, we (laughs) did that when we were still rendering, like, you know, just primitive shapes directly, like, in code. Like, set my vertices, because it's like, no, don't load a mesh until you have an asset system. And it's like, well, okay, you know, now, uh, having, having that experience, I'm like, well, it's really trivial to load an OBJ file. So do you really need to have a multi-threaded asset system before you do that? Um, but, but yeah, we definitely have, uh, yeah, like tools and tools for different games. And again, you know, to, to a degree, I, I think it, I always bounce back and forth on this, right? When we're, we're talking about abstraction, right? It's like, to a yeah. degree, there, there are things about the engine that are kind of abstracted in, and it's hard to tell, is is it that the abstraction is bad? Is it that the very idea of abstracting that is just sort of off, right? Like I think any yeah. component system is kind of a good example where it just wasn't like, it was very frictional to use it. It didn't, it didn't feel good. It wasn't responsive. And it didn't really give us, you know, the potential performance benefits that you might have if you're yeah. you know like iterating in tight loop, tight loops it's fine for physics right the the ecs was great for that because everything's just really tight but it's like hey for the character controller doing the ai for like a character like moving around and responding and saying lines of dialogue it's like well no because we're just grabbing everything right we're raycasting against stuff and we're mm-hmm. checking the state of other actors and you you know just like it wasn't it was just, you know, it was painful to use, right? So it's like ripping that out has been awesome. And, you know, we, we did that, I don't know, year and a half, two years ago, something. Um, and, you know, that's that's been very great. But it's like the a lot of the tools are still kind of in this mindset where it's like, oh, okay, so we've got this kind of like tools update and we want to, you know, maybe um, set up, you know, different different tools, right, that you can toggle between, right? So we're going to 
switch the we we're going to switch between what uh, what function we're calling like in the tools update. And it, it's not like using like, like you know virtual functions or anything like that, but it just it still is a little bit more like oh we've got this general idea of an editor. And then you're going right. to describe things that the editor is going to use. And just, you know, the, the, the stack doesn't grow that much. But, you know, it's like the call stack is two things deeper, three things deeper. And it's a little bit more headache to be like, okay, wait, how is the editor? Like, you know, if I'm going to start making a new project, right? It's like, well, how is the editor rendering the 3D meshes, right? Like, where is it collecting that data? And, you, you know, part of it's, it, there's always this juggling, right? Between like, boy, I really don't want to write some of that editor code again. Like, I, I'm glad that I can just <laughs> click on a thing and it's selected. And it's not the hardest problem in the world. But, you know, I just don't want to, I got other yeah. things to work on. Versus, uh, boy, like, it's sure a pain every time I need to remember how this thing works. It might just be nicer <laughs> to be like, this game editor update top to bottom like just start doing doing the yeah. stuff right yeah um <laughs> and it's like you know, another thing we do with the editor right there's a lot of uh like i mentioned the the meta programming right where it's okay so you've got uh you can parse your code uh you you know you can auto serialize your data uh you think like some of the things that you're doing in a data desk right where it's like yeah, oh yeah. you can like mark up your data and be like all right i just i want to hit serialize and do this um I want to get introspection into my data. Yep. And, you know, that's great until you're looking at, like, you know, the the editor window that just pops up for this thing, and you're like, oh, that's ugly. I hate it. It's really not, like, <laughs> it's the way I want to lay it out in code, but it's not the way I want it laid out in the editor. And maybe, so the question is, okay, so do I start adding some more markup so I can get more customized with that? Do yeah. I want to start saying, okay, well, hey, let's be a little smarter about how that data uh, gets collected and rendered or do i just want to say like okay look this guy has like the definition of this data hasn't changed in six months would it really be that bad if i needed to add like input vec3 if it changed <laughs> again like it's been six months it's not going to happen that often um mm -hmm. so yeah there's kind of always a, a fine line between it. I, I think as i get more experience um i tend to kind of just like things being a little bit stupider, a little bit more explicit yeah, yeah. Uh, with things. And I, I don't know, again, like back to the individual uh, aspect, I, I think, um, you know, yeah, my, my teammate, I think she is someone that, that really does um, appreciate those things and is sort of like, okay, I'm going to like find the better abstraction, right? Because she's looking at it and it's like, look, this is horrible because really the way we modeled this is just stupid. It wasn't thinking about what our problem is. It wasn't thinking about the data. I, I now see. know how I can model this in a much smarter way. And I'm just sort of like, at this point, I just want to like start typing in code and yeah, yeah. not think about it anymore. Um, so I think it is kind of a personal thing. Like I get the impression uh, maybe like Carmack is somebody or maybe like Tim Sweeney, other, you know, engine developers are people that tend to like doing things, uh, finding sort of the right model, right? The right abstraction layer. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, other people like Jonathan Blow tends to be someone who's much more comfortable just sort of like, okay, I, I, I want to move forward on this. I want to get I, I want to get the problem solved in a good enough state that I can go ahead and adapt it in the future. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, maybe it, it's fine if things are just, you know, laid out in this very plain way. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think uh, I think those that distinction comes up a lot 
just within like the stuff that I work on is I'm, I, I don't know how I'd classify myself, but I would classify myself less of the person trying to like find the really good model from the start. I used to do that and I mm-hmm. like rejected that side of myself. Um, and I, I think I'm like gravitating back a little bit now. Um, but, uh, generally like I'm, I just kind of like to go in and write as much code as possible, but then it's always useful to have a teammate who's like thinking about like, are we, are we modeling things the right way? Are we, are we, um, are we constructing this so that, you know, the maintenance that we have to do in the future, maintaining the system is as little as possible. Like we don't have to touch a bunch of like, um, you know, if there's two variables in the system that you're designing, there's like N and M things. We never want to multiply those two things together if we expect those things to get large. So like, let's try to like turn the camera a little bit so that Mm -hmm. they're like, so that M is really small or we're only adding them if possible, like that kind of thing. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think that's, that's one of the major axes that I've kind of noticed of, of people's work styles is, are they the person to just go in and be like, I'm going to write the code to do the thing right away? Or am I going to like sit and like think really, really deeply about it and really make sure the system is robust? Um, yeah, definitely both useful skills to have. I haven't met somebody who's both of those things. So, um, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, right. There, there might be something, yeah, kind of exclusive about them. Because I, 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 yeah. this is another thing with um, education that, uh, you know, like we, to bring it way back when we were talking about UML diagrams and stuff. It's, I mean, I mean you know, w- one of the things that I noticed, you know, being being like an, uh, an English person and a writing person when I got into programming, I was already a really yeah. like confident typer. And so just sitting down and yeah. starting to type code was no problem at all, right? Right. Whereas, you know, sometimes I have, have students that are really, I mean, they aren't like hunting and pecking, right? But it's definitely not yeah, yeah. just blazingly fast. And so there might be just sort of like a cost benefit analysis of it's like, hey, look, coding, ta- typing takes long enough and is just boring enough for me that I actually think I, I actually do think faster if I'm just not doing it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, I, I mean, you know, my friend that I work with, uh, you know, she, she types very fast too. So I don't think that's the case for her. Uh, I think it's more maybe like an aesthetic thing. Cause like she would have never in that hash table thing uh, with the, the whole <laughs> like global variable. Like she would have just known immediately, like, no, don't do that. Whereas I sort of need to go through that horrible process of just being like, okay, this sounds bad, but like, let's see. And just like, that sense yeah. of dread just creeping up on you. Every line you type, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to do that again, aren't I? Oh, no, that's that's going to be a problem here. And, like, one thing that, that I um, like about that, it might have something to do with the degree to which you can keep the problem in your head. Yeah. Because yeah. by typing code and inserting it into files, I start to see, hey, we need this thing here. Hey, it gets compiled here this is sort of, you know, this is the the process of things. And then I start to get a much fuller picture, whereas maybe um, what I think some people are much better at is just sort of perusing the code base, right? Just being like, okay, if yeah. I were to start putting things in, where would I do it? Oh, okay, well, I'm going to need it here. So obviously the hash table, no, not going to do that. That's awful <laughs> right. uh, because that's going to cause all these problems, you know, in all of these files, right? Yeah. Where it's like, I'm not even thinking about those files. I'm just thinking, okay, what's like a way to get a thing with a name? Well, a hash table, that's pretty obvious. And then <laughs> you start putting it in and you're like, okay, nope, not the hash table. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like we can use some metaprogramming to do this in a much nicer way. 
Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think it's just sort of a, um, different ways that people explore code bases, I guess. Yeah. Maybe a way to think about it. Yeah. I really like the, um, the style that Casey introduced with handmade hero, uh, which was like just the compression oriented kind of idea where like, it's kind of like a, maybe, maybe that is the, the middle ground basically where somebody's just like going crazy writing code and then they're like, okay, let's step back. Let's group things that I see in common together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty useful like paradigm. Uh, at least it was for me, and it seems like for a lot of other people also. Yeah, I definitely um, agree. I mean, that's another yeah, just like programming. It's you know when you're starting out, you spend so much time just thinking about the problem, which again I think yeah. sometimes gets back to like the fear of programming, right? It's like once it's right. in the computer, it's in the computer. Once I push it to GitHub, like it's in the world, so it better be like pristine. Whereas yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like. Because I never really coded that way. I always felt like I should, but it's just, it's nothing ever got done, right? If I was doing that. <laughs> so it was very helpful to watch Handmade Hero and and I think read uh, read that uh, compression-oriented programming and be like, okay, wait, this is okay. Like, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm not incompetent. <laughs> like, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Some some of the code I write, you know, I think it would be reasonable to fire me. But the the process <laughs> by which I write it isn't what's going to get me fired right, right. it's, it's probably yeah, it's more gonna... likely that like oh i didn't i didn't go back right i didn't do enough compression. right um, it's not going to break somebody else's build on their machine if i push this so like i'll be okay <laughs> like, yeah right exactly yeah yeah for sure um yeah so uh do you want to talk a little bit about like your your game in a more in-depth way because i know you're talking about uh you know you have uh, your personal engine that you work on with your friend um, and you guys are working on a game together. Uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about that uh, project and, and see oh, yeah. what you're working on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk about it. Um, so yeah, that is, uh, and like I said, we, we were developing this engine uh, for a while, pretty much, I would say like since handmade hero started relatively, there was kind of a point where it's like, well, this is fun to do, but it's like, we want to be game developers. We want to run a studio. This isn't really like a good model for us, right? We aren't we aren't good enough to like do this, right? So right. we'll we'll learn some stuff. It'll be good. So when we we're working in Unity, we'll be smarter, better programmers, right? Yeah. Uh, and th that that got ditched pretty quick because like once you start writing your own engine, you're just like, why is it this way in Unity? Why is it like it's just <laughs> it, it's not fun, right? It's it's much nicer yeah. for a programmer to just be typing rather than looking in an editor in a lot of cases. So so yeah, this. Uh, this was not the game that we started out making in the engine, right? Um, our engine sort of originally started, it's like, okay, we're making like first person games of, you know, ver various types, right? But, you know, fully 3D, yeah, yeah, first person uh, games. And uh, a about two and a half years ago, um, I, was, I was teaching a class. And if you teach programming and you like Conway's Game of Life, you yeah. find that you teach Conway's Game of Life a lot. Like you teach yeah. it like every six months because uh, it's yeah. it's easy. It's really cool. It like shows it, it's a great thing for first time students to do. They can get yeah. it even working in a you know basic console. Um, it's just really neat. So I, I was just, I, I don't know, it was sort of in one of those periods where it's like, okay, hey, uh, I want to start working on a different game because, you know, just feeling a little bummed. Uh, I, I could show this to my students. It could be neat. And, you know, we could kind of like, get a perspective on it that's a little bit more like personal like oh this is like how i approach things right um 
and just, just give them an example of like uh you know a simple simple game so yeah i started um you know just playing around on a go board and the idea that i very quickly came up with is like oh okay so what if it's like a sokoban set in conway's game of life where you just make this one uh you know exception you're just like hey the the player character isn't uh going to die right uh, they don't mm. count as like a live neighbor they aren't going to wind up you know, birthing a bunch of selves. Um, yeah. Obviously, this doesn't make any sense to someone that doesn't know what uh, Conway's Game of Life is. Uh, but right, for anyone I'll put the that doesn't, the... uh, please please go yeah. look it up because you know it's it's really fascinating um, and code it up because it's really fun. Yeah. But yeah. So the the idea was just yeah, very simple. It's like okay, start uh, you know pu pushing these cells around, and every time you move the you know the simulation is going to go to the next update, right? So. Hmm. You just you have a configuration and then you try pushing and seeing if something changes, right? And and how things move. Um and so yeah, I just coded that up in a really um like hacky software renderer that I was using for, you know, the the high schoolers at the time. And yeah, yeah, didn't really think about it too much more. Um until I saw that um Tecla was doing the Tecla the studio that made the witness um was doing like a puzzle grant thing uh so me and my friend were mm -hmm. like oh okay we should like really we should actually like work on this more focus like really see if we can develop it into something um and yeah, we didn't get the sure. grant and honestly we probably asked for way too much money and you know looking <laughs> back on it the the game I, I don't know if anyone played it maybe maybe they really did um enjoy it but from my perspective i'm like yeah there's a little bit of embarrassment where it's just like oof like that no. <laughs> I was not 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 ready yet um but you know at the same time it's like we we laid down a lot of the the foundation of the game in a very yeah. quick uh time period right so we got you know kind of like a basic idea of you know a, a rendering style we got um which, which of course has completely changed over uh the time period <laughs> but it carried us very far right right and yeah, and then you know it's like some of the, in fact, really a lot of levels that were in that build were are still in the game. There's still things that are, uh, uh, you know, they've probably gone through refinements and you know little tweaks and stuff, but the, the basic idea is still there. So yeah, it's yeah. it's like a Sokoban in a, uh, you know, like open world type of thing, like like in you know a, a Mario game, right? You you go go around or like steven sausage roll right select different levels right. um play through them and the the idea behind the game sort of what um the the thing that that i wound up latching onto with, with the game uh was the the idea of like stories emerging from like a cellular automata right oh interesting from, okay which is um kind kind of a weird idea uh i, I think it certainly that's sort of i think why i lost yeah back onto it because i started like seeing things you know it's like you're looking at clouds right and you start to see shapes or you're listening to like your air conditioner maybe you're like hearing like like an organ i always hear like strings somehow it's like i don't know the metal vibrating or something but it was yeah. just sort of that it's like you just stare at like the same cellular automata the same like process carrying itself out over and over again and you're sort of like oh okay wait this is like there's kind of an idea or a story happening here, uh, which again, I think for a lot of people that, that play puzzle games or develop puzzle games, uh, isn't necessarily a like really novel concept, right? It's like, oh, of course, a puzzle game has ideas, right? Th those are what makes 
good, interesting puzzles. Is that is expressing uh, some idea or thought about a system in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you're when you're dealing with Conway's Game of Life, there, there's so many possibilities, right? Like starting out, it was just kind of figuring out what the game is, right? Like, oh well, is it about like optimization, right? Is it about uh, the sort of like Turing completeness aspect of uh, of the game of life? Is it about is, is it about these gigantic structures, right? Am I? Um, yeah. I was sort of looking at Spore at the time. I'm like, Spore is kind of like kind of like Spore, but like, what would that look like as a puzzle game if you had these like if you had this like 10x zoom, right? That, that yeah. famous video, right? Like, what would happen if you started very small, just like with a blinker, and you had a puzzle game that just like built up more and more. But then, of course, you get into like insane issues where it's like a person can't really reason about that. Um, yeah. yeah, and there might be a really interesting game there. Uh, I'm just probably not the person to discover it. Uh, so it's certainly not. <laughs> I'm not dissuading anyone from doing that. I I would totally play that game, and uh, if that's interesting to you, I I recommend pursuing it. Um, but yeah, for for me, it's because again, you know, my background is sort of in English, so the things. I am interested in with game design tend to be a little bit more of the, um, I mean, like I want to say narrative, but also it's like not, not really because I tend to not like stories in games, but it's, but that's also sort of the design space that I'm really interested in. Right. Right. Um, Like, yeah, you know, stuff that like 1935, you know, is potentially doing right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I would have read about that, you know, relatively when i was like starting out i'm like oh that's really cool so in a lot of ways like a a puzzle game set in like a you know cellular automata is totally not in my wheelhouse right that's not a game i would have (laughs) assumed that i would have ever made before but i i was just sort of curious like okay what if because i i hit some dead ends i think kind of thinking about narrative in certain ways and thinking about games in certain ways uh they were just making me a little uncomfortable right i'm like this maybe this isn't like the right way to approach things. Right. Um, what if, you know, what if I just like try to make a puzzle game, right. I just sort of see what's there, uh, you know, what's, what's already there. And, you know, it's, it was really interesting that I kind of found what was already there was actually kind of a, some narrative stuff, right. Some sort of very simple, um, I, I think of them kind of, they're, they're very like mythical in a way, right. Where it's, it's, cause again, it's, uh, Conway's game of life it's very abstract right it's very kind of like primordial and and basic so the thing it's obviously not going to be you know the last of us um (laughs) not not, maybe not that it even should be the last of us right but it it (laughs) wouldn't be um right yeah yeah and yeah it's just sort of you know much more yeah yeah just kind of like basic things about uh the you know the process of things you know getting born and dying and sort of um changing because there were i'll start with um the the most interesting thing that i found first um so if you take like a block in um in conway's game of life just a basic two by two right Mm -hmm. and then you add a another block right that's the the player character that can just push things around right one of the things that's actually really interesting is you can push this two by two structure and you 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 push it and then it gets into this sort of uh like perilous state right where it's going to decay if you don't do something but then you can sort of like prune it and now you get another two by two block 
shifted over one, right? Uh, which huh. okay. is, again, you know, that's just kind of one of those things puzzle designers talk about, right? It's, it's a, I wasn't like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could push these two by two blocks around? It's just like, what happens when right. you push one thing and then I follow the rules of the simulation? And, yeah. oh, that's weird. You can actually push, you can push these individual blocks, but you can also push these larger structures, right? So then it's sort of things, what happens if you push on like a glider in certain places, right? What happens hmm. if uh, you move certain shapes next to each other? What happens if you block the location that a certain thing is going to get born, right? Um, sort of how you can alter the simulation and then what kind of um, what, what, what kind of like shapes emerge out of that? So I probably should have said this earlier. The basic way the the level gets uh, solved, right, is just you have uh, these little like pads where it's like, hey, to to be the level, there has to be a live cell here, and then you've got the, the the negation of that. Hey, there sh there can't be a live cell here, and then you've just got a little pad that's like, hey, the player. The, the, when the player stands here, we try to solve the level, and then if it can be solved, you know, go go back to the overworld. If it can't be, then uh, then don't. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I was going to ask about um, like the 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 thought passed my mind of you're a programmer who you know is presumably familiar to a degree. Like, um. No, nobody's ever done being an engine programmer, but you know you're you can program engines, you can program gameplay stuff. You're a writer. I was wondering to what extent those all intermix with each other, but it sounds like you kind of found like an interesting middle ground where you know you know sounds like you hand rolled the engine, um, doing all the gameplay code. Obviously, it's two people. I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, uh, yeah. My friend, she definitely does more on the the rendering side. Um, I mean, I, I see. I am relatively good at math. But, you know, I, I think she is someone that just has a lot more uh, natural insight on like, oh, hey, you know what? I should really be like taking a derivative here and that's going to, you know, help, uh, you know, smooth out any discontinuities. Right. Whereas I'm, I'm going to kind of like stare at that and be like, is that discontinuous? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I should think about how to solve that. Right. Um I, I, I certainly have done because uh, she works at another game studio. So just time wise, you know, it's it sometimes is like, OK, hey, uh, I need to do some rendering work because it's going to get done faster this way. Maybe we can ship it. Maybe uh, it's not even going to look good. Right. But again, you know, I, I'm a person that kind of has to code it to know what it's yeah, going to be um, for sure. But yeah, I, I, it's, I mean, the, the number one thing that happens if you change from like between English and computer science is everyone goes like, that's a big change. And, <laughs> and you know, to a degree, uh, yeah, but I, I have kind of always thought about it. And yeah, I mean, to a large degree, right? Like writing stories is sort of uh, describing processes, right? And moving hmm. towards goals. It's also very exploratory in the same way that like, puzzles are i mean you know good novels are not things where you're like i want to show that x is true or x is bad or this right. is the way to live there are things where it's like you really do feel like you know you look at like a play of shakespeare or something it really seems like there are systemic things going on there right it's sort of like this is just the natural way that things would behave and of course the difficulty with writing is how do you actually know that, right? Like, how do you, how do you as an yeah. author develop a sense that this is true and not like contrived in some way? Um, yeah, for sure. 
So it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's nice from like a programming perspective to just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's true. But then, like I said, you know, it's sort of like looking at clouds, the things that I see are not necessarily like there objectively in any sort yeah. of way, but you know, kind of that's, that's where the art of game design is, right. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the personal perspective and the, the human experience of, of systems and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's an, it's interesting that you describe that relationship because I've been um, I've been wondering about like the difference between somebody who's doing design or art or writing, uh, you know, things that we consider these like softer skills that like aren't super hard and rigorous and, um, you know, they're interesting and they're exploring very complicated things, but we consider them separate from programming. And I've wondered for a while, like to what extent they're actually separate Um because I sometimes I'll hear like things that people are working on in uh, you know these softer kinds of skills, and I'm like that, that's like a it's kind of like a program, like it's kind of uh -huh. like this like engineered system that you're working with, and um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear you say that like a story is just like that, um, right? And of course, like the the flip side of that, is, of course, a programmer says that, right? Like we say that about <laughs> everything, like oh, a car <laughs> that a person drives, that's really just like a machine that drives it, right? Oh, <laughs> right. it's like. <laughs> you know, kind of everything. It's just, oh, it, it's a program at the end of the day. But yeah, I, yeah. I definitely um, am. I, I tend towards that view, right? Um, yeah. Not necessarily in any sort of like, you know, the, the other side is like, oh, it's purely mechanical, right? Oh, writing is just this thing. There's no intuition. There's no like artistry to it. It's just, you know, you, you start typing, right? And you follow, you know, best practices of writing. It's not a program in that sense, right? But it is yeah. it is a program in the sense that, uh, you know, it's it's sort of about, um, about describing um, and conveying so, sort of like a set of behavior and, and a process of, you know, the way things happen, right? Uh, I mean, programs are, you run this code and this is what happens, right? And I think it's the same thing with you know good good literature or good film or or you know even like good music right there's kind of a sense of inevitability to it where it's just like well interesting it, it, like it doesn't work it's not sound in any other way uh right. if you if you change these things yeah that's really interesting um well i think uh that's gonna wrap up all the time i i have to talk to you um, okay yeah sure for this episode but uh it's been really awesome to have you on the show i really enjoyed the the talk and um, do you have any like links to your game or anything that I can send out? Oh yeah, um, sure. Um, the yeah. So um, let's see, maybe I can just. Is there a chat window here? I can just enter them. Uh, I, I think can, so. Or I can just sound them out. Yeah, you can also um, you can also yeah, send them to me. To you, yeah. And then I can uh, I can put them in the description of the podcast episode as well as um, just read them out right now. Um, sure yeah so yeah uh the the game uh can be found uh at uh changes uh dash game dot com and that's uh you know just sort of the basic page uh with some description of the game yeah you know we're still uh you know very much in the you know finishing things up stage but it's kind of it's at a point right where it's, i know what the game is I, you know, I'm, I'm confident kind of in the form that it, it'll ship and it's, you know, Im improving the visuals, uh, you know, getting the uh, audio, uh, you know, dynamic right. soundtrack stuff and all that finished. Um, you know, also, uh, every, everyone can find um, at Twitter. Um, and I always forget what my Twitter username 
is terrible. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> let's see here. Yeah, uh, Twitter at uh, Colin underscore E, like I, which I can also send you here. Awesome. Um, yeah, and other than that, you know, just anyone that uh, wants to talk, they can always find me on the Discord Fanime Network. I'm happy to talk to, you know, any, any new programmers uh, that, you know, want to, you know, some advice when they're starting out or learning or anyone, anyone else that teaches. I, I know um, I was really interested by the podcast you had last time with um, uh, the Raylib developer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a very, I, I was very interested to hear his perspective because he has a very different approach to building a game engine and the people that he's teaching it to, right? So, right. so yeah, I'm happy yeah. to always uh, talk about things on, on Discord. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, sounds good. Um, uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a great, great conversation. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll uh, talk to you later then. And uh, yeah, t- hopefully talk to you on the Discord and everybody else can do that as well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming All on. All right. Yeah, have a cool. good one. Bye. All right. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Handmade Network podcast. You can join us in making software by hand by going to handmade.network. You can also email in questions or topics for the podcast to podcast at handmade.network. Hope to see you next time.